Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. All right. It's nice. It's nice and a little bit warmer today, right? We are, you know, no matter how it is outside, we are so blessed. We are, we are blessed. I, you know what? We are blessed in this country. We are blessed with his word. We are blessed with community. Um, the Lord has blessed us. And I, and I want you to, to really remember that and hopefully you reflect upon this because it is easy to become cynical in this world. When you, when you turn on the news, it's becoming de- more and more depressing every day, almost comical. But, but the thing is, is we are blessed. And we need to remember that. You know, that, that, that inspired writer, she says, she says, it would be great if we spent a thoughtful hour on Jesus, but also on heaven, on the blessing of heaven, that there is something greater than what we have here. Isn't that great? That is a blessing. Praise the Lord for that. I want to remind you, we got the candy man over there. Bill, remember, kiddos, if you fill out your notes... The candy man will give you candy. Um, right, he will say hi also. Don't be scared. He's like Santa. So sing with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Him cries the Lord. Father, praise and honor and glory be to you. May the spirit of the Lord be here empowering us, encouraging us, embracing us, and teaching us of you and your love. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, over this last year, I just want to say this, that I've noticed that there has been freedom in that little song, in that little chorus of harmony. It, you know, when we started, it wasn't, I, I, I start listening to you start harmonizing in that song. And, and it's beautiful with, when you see that evolution. I, you probably don't hear it, I hear it. Um, and it's just great to hear you sing together like that. There's a statue here that I'm going to show you. And, and can anybody that wasn't in the front row and looked at my notes that can recognize who this is. Does anybody? Yeah. Joseph Stalin, right? Ironically, so ironically you knew that, but I wouldn't have been able to figure out who that was. I'm not that big of a history buff. But ironically, in the last five to six years, Russia has put up more than 10 statues of Joseph Stalin. He's been gone for for years. And people have taken down statues in several countries, but they are increasingly putting up the statues. And uh, Vladimir Putin was, was even quoted in saying that we need to stop as Russians on demonizing uh, Joseph Stalin. He was a good guy for our country. He was good 
for the world. Do you know that at one point, Joseph Stalin had, he had statues in Germany, Poland, Romania, Mongolia, Albania, Czech Republic, Hungary, Netherlands, and there were others that he had. There were statues all over the world. Mongolia blows my mind that it made it all the way to Mongolia. There was actually a bust of him here, you know, a, a statue of him here that was taken down, I think, just about eight years ago, 2010, I believe it was. But what you started, what I started realizing is, you know, he's not the only one who set up statues of himself. But Caligula, do you know the, the, the emperor Caligula? He was so intentional because he wanted the glory of Rome to be about him. So he started putting up statues, and, and even the senators were like, you need to stop this. They're going everywhere. It was like a Starbucks. You know, every corner there's a Caligula statue, and they were just going up everywhere. And they said, this is out of control. It's believed by some people, some historians, that Alexander the Great had the most statues up at his time. You know, and that, that he had statues up all over the known empire. People wanted to build for the glory of their kingdom, but a lot of times they, they, they didn't just do it for the glory of the kingdom. You know, like, like Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, they did hanging gardens. They did stuff for the glory of the kingdom, but it seemed that a lot of times the emperor's wanted the kingdom to be the glory of them. It is my glory. We, you know, you're here as an empire because of my power. Now, going to the purpose of, of a Christian... I want to read a verse, and it's from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7. It says this, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I, have, whom I created for what? My glory, whom I formed and made. We are created for what? His glory. I truly believe we are created for his glory. The challenge is, when you hear the words, we do this with a lot of things. When you hear a certain word, we have a definition of it, and it might differ from everybody else. For example, if you have two different families, there's a a daughter of a very healthy family and a daughter of an abusive father family, and you hear the word daddy, they think totally different. Do you, do you see how that happens? It's one word. It's the same word, but meaning two different things. With glory, it is an abstract word that most people don't understand what the roots are. Now, you know that I am a root person. Language is what I love. The word in Hebrew is chavod. Can you say chavod? One more time, chavod. Now, the word chavod literally means to make heavy. To make heavy. So my wife's 
food to me is making me chavod. Do you understand? It's good. I eat it. It's good. It also is translated to honor, glory, or glorify. It's also translated liver. By the way, do you know outside of the skin, because they have said the skin is an organ now, but outside of the skin, what is the heaviest organ in the body? The liver. It's heavier than our brains. Mine's probably, my brain's heavier, you know, but I was blessed with that. Just joking. (laughs) It doesn't help. (laughs) It's just wasted space. Now, ironically, Glory, like when we think of glory, kavod, we think positive, right? The glory of the Lord. But do you realize that this word glory, kavod, is actually used way more times in a negative expression than a positive expression? Let me share a couple verses with you. I did a couple up front, and then I'm, I'm also going to share a few more. Uh, The first is from Genesis 12, and it says this, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. What word do you think is chavod? Severe. It was heavy. Does that make sense? The famine was heavy. This was not a good thing. The famine was pressing down. Let me read another one. When he mentioned, now this one's easy. When he mentioned the ark, Eli fell backward. Remember the story? Remember it got captured? Uh, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and he was heavy. He, was, he had led Israel 40 years. What year, or what word is kavod? Heavy. He was huge. And he fell back in his chair or whatever and broke his neck. How about this one? Honor your father, your father and your mother uh, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Which one is it? No, it's, it's honor. It's honor. Chavod is honor there. Now, I, I want to read just a couple more. I printed some. I didn't want to put them all up there. But uh, we read the Genesis 12. These are the first several verses. Guess what it is here? And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Which one? Rich. He was rich. He was heavy. But not necessarily. He was just heavy with all this stuff. Um, And the Lord said, this is Genesis 18, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. Grievous. Huh? Grievous. It was heavy. The sin was heavy. Um... Let's, uh, how about this one? Well, this one's easy too. And, and the famine was sore in the land. This is all King James. Huh? Sore. It was heavy. Um, how about this one? This is from Genesis 48. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age so that he could not see. And he, and he brought them near unto him and he kissed them and embraced them. For the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could... It was dim. The eyes were heavy. They could not see. Are you starting to, to grasp the, the, like the, the relationship? One more. I'll do one more. Um, 
This is Exodus 4. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore. Does anybody use that word heretofore anymore? Um, Nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of slow tongue. What do you think it is? Slow. Both of those are chavod. So he's heavy speech and heavy tongue. I'm not a good speaker. And this is this word. And a lot of times it's used, a lot more times it's used towards a negative expression. But we have sort of always thought glory, you know, in in Scripture, we, we, we translate that towards God. We ascribe that to God. But what does it mean for God's heaviness or heaviness towards God? Well, a lot of writings post scripture have you and you and you've probably used this expression before also. You know that where it's been said about the Shekinah glory. Have you ever heard that expression before? What is that usually related to? Where where is the Shekinah glory? In in the in the tabernacle, right? In the temple. By the way, the word for tabernacle is Mishkan, where the word Shekinah comes from. It's the same, the same root word. Shekan. Now, this word literally means to live with or to dwell among. Do you remember? Why did, he, why did he say, I want you to make a Mishkan so that I may dwell with them, right? Make a tabernacle so that we can live together. So I am wondering if, what, if we would translate this Shekinah glory literally, it would mean to dwell heavily. To dwell heavily. So I wonder if to bring glory to the Lord is literally to make him heavier than everything else. He tips the scales in your life. A lot of times we try to balance our life and we fit him in so that our life is balanced. But what he's saying, no, 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 I don't want that. I want to poof, tip the scale. I want to be consumed. Yeah, because I am consumed with you. He's obviously consumed with you if he sent, if Jesus Christ came to save us. He is consumed with you. Now, I want you to be consumed with me. Let's reciprocate this. God's glory is all, I want you to remember this, is all relationship-based. If there is no relationship, then God has no glory in your life. You might know all that you know about God. You might have gone to seminaries. You might have a PhD or some doctorate of ministry. But if you are not letting him dwell heavy in your life, it is worth nothing. Though I have all the faith in the world, though I give everything I have, yet I have not love, it's nothing. It's vanity. To dwell heavy is the glory of the Lord. So your purpose 
is to dwell heavy with the Lord, to know him, period, to know him. It's simple. I know it's hard because it takes investment. It's so much easier to not know somebody. You know, working in youth ministry in the last, you know, for the last 12 years or so, I saw where kids would come to me and they'd say, you know, my parents are working so hard and, and, and I'm thankful because they provide these things, but they're buying toys and toys and toys, but I see them less and less and less. You know the, the song, uh, was it Cat, Cat in the Cradle? That's that song. You're working, working, working. There's no relationship built. I don't care if you're providing toys for me. The kids don't care. They want time. That's a biblical, that's, that's what God put within us. Time. Dwell heavily with me, please. Actually, it even says, honor your parents. So the kids should be dwelling heavily with their parents. That's what that word means. It doesn't mean to just, you know, when you get to a certain age, you know that it doesn't mean obey every command that they have. Or does it, Bill? I don't know. Do you, do you command your daughter, hey, drill that tooth or, you know, this way? No, no, no. It means invest back in them. Dwell heavily with them. Don't forsake them when you are an adult. Dwell with them. So, we come to some of these verses where it, it talks about our purpose in what it means to glorify him. It says, you know, in 1 Corinthians it says this. So whether you eat or drink or, whether, or whatever you do, do it for what? The glory of God. But if you understand the context of this, people were, people were afraid of uh, people that ate food offered to idols. And what Paul was saying is, well, just don't be a stumbling block. Don't do anything that inhibits relationship. Do you understand that? Don't do anything that inhibits a relationship to be formed between God and man. How about this in Ephesians chapter 2? For we are created, or no, no, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And you know from like Matthew 25 what those good works are. It's not just regularly coming to church or regularly even paying your tithe, even though I recommend that. I recommend it, conference officials. But what it means is take care of people. Good works are how are you loving on people? Have you ever read Isaiah 58? You know, we, we read that, those last couple of verses about Isaiah 58, and it talks about the Sabbath. You know, if you make, you know, if you make it my pleasure instead of your pleasure, but if you read the whole context of Isaiah 58, it's about this fast, and he says, a real fast, a real Sabbath fast, is to take care of hurting people. Embrace them. When they're naked, you clothe them. When they're hungry, you feed them. That's what it means to be a Christian. Dwell heavily 
with God and then dwell heavily with each other. Now, this is in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we've read this before. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So there's two things that is the duty of all mankind. What is it? Fear God and keep his commandments, according to Ecclesiastes. Fear God, keep his commandments. I think I told you this before. The word yara, which is translated fear, literally means from the gut. And it also is relationship-based. You would say the same thing as if I was lovesick, it would be that yara feeling. It's from here. It's not just here. You know the word, uh, I'm throwing all these Hebrew words to you, and I I know you're going to remember them because you love it as much as I do. But the word that is translated no, yada. Can you say yada? Yada. The word yada is, tra- is translated no most of the time. Now, in Genesis 4, it says, And Adam, yada, Eve, he knew Eve, if you read it in your King James. Adam knew Eve, and they had a baby. I wonder what no means. And it, and it says that we should have the same knowledge, yada, towards the Lord. Now, we know that's not talking about the physical intimacy, but it's the word yada means to engage not by observation, by it, but through experience. This is how you know somebody. So we are created to know through experience, yada, not through just study. Because you can study your way out of the church. I am not saying I, I promote Bible study. I, I very much, I believe that that's part of our challenge and not why people don't grow in the Lord. But if study is your purpose, and it's not to walk in relationship and grow in love with the Lord and with your fellow human beings, then we're missing the point. Because God is only using relationship words. So what are these commands the commands of the Lord that bring him glory. I didn't put it up there. If you have your sword, please go to Matthew chapter 22. Because to me, this is it. Matthew 22. And I'm going to start in verse... um, 35. I know I put 36 up there. <clears throat> One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? We have 613 here in our commandments, you know, just in the Torah, and we have all these other in Talmud. What is the greatest one? And you know this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. And what that word means is it's equal. It's the same. It's, it's equal. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this. 
all the laws out there, all the law and the prophets, all of the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the whole Old Testament hang on these two commandments. If you want to know what the Old Testament is about, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor. If somebody asks you what Christianity is about, you know, Jesus Christ obviously is the center, but what is your greatest commandment given by the Lord? Love the Lord your God and love your human being, your fellow human being, your brother and sister. And what's the common word? Love. That's it. The biggest challenge here, though, is you know that just like we did with glory, love has a different connotation with so many different people. You know, sometimes people manipulate when they use this word love and, and people feel that they are in love. But this inspired writer, who I do love, I love the writings. I, 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 don't, I didn't know her personally because she was a little bit older. Um, you know, Joe knows Joe Sidora was, uh, I think, uh, like her grand, uh, grandkids' age. She writes this, um, and there's a quote in Ministry of Healing, and, and you know this quote. If you'd, Christ's method alone, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired who's good. They're good. Bing, there's, that's a clue to what love is. He desired their good. He didn't desire that the church grow. Did you catch that? That wasn't his main desire. His desire was to improve their life. And the byproduct is the church would grow. Does that make sense? He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then he bade them, then he bade them, follow me. There is a need of coming close to the people by what kind of effort? Personal relationship effort. If less time, so this means that I'd probably lose my job. If less time were given to sermonizing, and more time were spent in personal ministry, worse results would be seen. Is that what it says? Greater results would be seen. The poor are to be relieved, the sick cared for, the sorrowing and bereaved comforted, the ignorant instructed, the inexperienced counseled. We are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoiced, accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, the power of the love of God. This work will not cannot be without fruit. If we would just love on people. We don't even have to do what we are planned evangelistic stuff. Did you catch that? We don't even have to do a lot of our programs of evangelism if, if people saw love in our workplaces 
And I know it's hard to work out. I mean, love at work, work at love. <laughs> it's hard to love at work because you're so focused on your task. But if they saw that we cared about them, if, if, if our communities saw that, people would be drawn to our community. What does John 13, 35 say? And they will know my art, that, that you are my disciples. Why? Because you have love for each other. It doesn't say because you keep this, 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 or you don't do this, or whatever you do. It says because you love on each other. That is your purpose globally. Now, here's my question because there's so much written in Scripture about where God wants to, to guide us. So I ask, is this it? And I do believe that there is more. There's more to what it means to love somebody. And in Matthew 28, God's, Jesus' last commission to the people, it's called the Great Commission, he says this, then, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can anybody tell me? Don't go to the next slide yet. Can anybody... Does anybody know what an imperative is, teachers? Do you know what it, what's an imperative in grammar? Imperative. A command. A command. Do you know that there's only one imperative in that text? Can anybody tell me what it, they think it is? Go is not a command. Not obey. What was that? Make disciples can you believe like out of all of the strong language in the greek the one that he's the strongest with is he says and you will go that's probably better translated from the greek and you're gonna go go make disciples that is the call and you know how you do that? Well, you do that, you, you eventually you will baptize them, you will teach them. But this word, make disciples, is the Greek word, mathetuo. Okay, you, you obviously know that Greek is my lesser of the two, what I like. Mathetuo. Now, in your King James Version, if you have a King James there, it is translated, instead of make disciples, it's translated teach now, this is not the common word for teach. The common word for teach I put up there is didasco. That is what it means to teach. Like when you teach, but this word matheteo or matheteis, which, uh, which is the word for disciple, it means relationship-based learning, what we would call mentoring. You need a relationship to mentor. This is not this. This is didasco. And that's the very Greek way. And that's why we have universities based off this. Every, you know, all these things are based off of, you know, like these educational institutes. You know, I teach, you listen, you learn. But the biblical model 
in the ancient, like, Eastern model was you learn through mentorship. Maybe a group of mentor, you know, I mean, mentees. I used to do construction. Um, now, the construction I did was concrete and excavation. And I actually became a foreman for, for about a semester, for about six months of, uh, for my boss. And I remember when I first got out. Now, he's a very, like, he'll rib on you. You know, he's probably like 300 pounds. You know, he, he had these, you know, these hands, like, the, like his fingers were this huge. I mean, he had been doing it forever. And he would rib on me because at that time I was probably a buck 40, you know, 140 pounds. And, he'd, and, and he would jackhammer. And you know, the jackhammer's like 90 pounds. And he'd, and you know, like lift it up and, and you go, okay, it's your turn. And, you know, I'm trying to lift it out. I'd get it stuck in the concrete, the pin. He's like, ah, oh, Rufo, what am I going to do with you? And so there were times where I'd get it stuck so far in the pin because I couldn't pull it out. You know, it's, that he'd have to take out the pin, and we'd have to, you know, sledgehammer around and then take out the pin, put it back in. And, but, but the thing is, is he walked me through this. He walked me through, now I was never good at it, on using his backhoe. You know, backhoes are super, super expensive. I think he said he paid uh, for a used one. I think it was $80,000. But he let me use it, and I didn't use it well. But he mentored me through the process. And you know, ironically, he, so when I first started for him was pre-conversion, before I gave my life to Christ. So I would tell him about my fraternity days and all these kinds of things. Then I gave my life to Christ, came back and worked for him. And we had times just to sit down and talk scripture. And he was on his own little wrestle with, with God. And so he would ask question after question. And we built a relationship there. He is a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, but we built this relationship there. And, and ironically, when he would hire people, you know, that were not Christian, secretly we would hit them from both sides about God. We would build relationships with these people, and I'd bring like a desire of ages and hand it to them or whatever. And, and we just would... It was relationship-based. We had a trust there. And we could say, yeah, the God we serve is awesome. It's not me knocking on somebody's door. Here, you need to trust the Lord. And I'm not, a, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But, but, but what it's saying is, we trust each other. And I want to show you what's changed my life. That is discipleship-making. Gaining relationship. Actually, there's one uh, thing that says if you don't have these keys to discipleship, then you lose the whole thing. You need friendship. So if our churches are not fostering friendship, then automatically we're not discipling. Accountability. We'll talk about that some other time. And shared experience. We need a shared experience. We are not a bunch of people that come here, sit here for two hours, and leave, not in contact with each other. Discipleship is we walk together with people. So discipleship, the thing that we will pass on, 
because it is important that we, in discipleship, we pass something on to be carried to the next generation, is love. I hope that I can pass that to my kids, that if you just love on people, they will be drawn to your Savior. If you love on them, they will be drawn to your Savior. And hopefully, we collectively can pass this on from generation to generation. But the thing is, is you need to build relationships with these kids. You need to build relationships. Not, not want. You need. The Lord has created you for his glory. And what his glory means is love on people and dwell heavily with him. I want to do is something just a little bit different. I want everybody, high school and younger, to come up here. So, so come on up, high school and younger. Oliver, I see you back there. Edward, I see you there. Kiddos, come on up. Jeremiah, Emeterio. Everybody, come on up. If you are high school or younger, and then I want my elders to come up and surround them. We are making disciples starting now. Within your ages but here we are claiming we want to show you the love of God touch and agree everybody has a hand on him or her there's more come suffer the little children not yeah you know the old language all right does everybody have a hand on? All right. First, we will do Aaron's blessing over you. Okay? This blessing is for you specific. Yevareka Adonai Vaishmareka, Yaer Adonai Panavalecha, Vichoneka, Yisadonai Panavalecha, Vayasem Lachashalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace. Father, I ask that these connections are made. Let this church, let these people know that their sole purpose is to love their God and love these ones. And may they see it, may they be attracted to it, and may they glorify you through their love to the next ones. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody. You can go back to your seats. You may be seated.